everybody. By the way, my name's Bob. So I'm one of the growth group teachers. And by the way, we meet in the corner room back there, shameless plug. So for Pastor Gary today, we get to read from the book of Matthew. In your chairs in front of you and under you, if you haven't brought your Bible, there's a copy. This is the ES version, ESV version. So let's go to Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses one through six. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounced you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Thank you, Brother Bob, and thank you, uh, praise team, for leading us so wonderfully in worship as you do all the time. It is uh, really wonderful to see a new singer, her second time to be up here on the platform, and a new pianist joining with us. And uh, if you have a ministry for music, I would advise you to talk to Miss Kara, and she will interview with you and listen to you and see if we can indeed find a place for you to serve musically here uh, in worship with us. Let's join our hearts once again in prayer. Our Father, we want to thank you this day that your plan is perfect and good for every one of us who are assembled in this room, but not just in this room, wherever people are meeting today to worship you together who are called the body of Christ. We thank you for the yearning of your heart to see that all people come to know you personally and to live the faith walk, the trust walk, the believing walk in the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We acknowledge today that we cannot do this on our own, and we pray that you would help us in this now time of this sermon, to concentrate on what your spirit wants to say to us. And when we leave this place, to be stronger in our faith, perhaps becoming for the very first time a real faith believer in the Lord Jesus. We trust you more than we trust anyone else. We love you more than we love anyone else. And we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. I don't think that you have to be particularly astute to realize that we are living 
in very critical times in the world and here in America. And when I say that, I mean we are living in really critical times. It appears that people all around us, outside the church, and sometimes even inside the church, are highly critical of what is going on. It doesn't matter what spectrum of life there is. There's just something that we find that we have to verbalize from within. This isn't right. This isn't wrong. And I want my opinion. I want my thoughts to be made known. One of the things that Christian people oftentimes struggle with is how do you do that under the Spirit's leadership? How do you respond to the sinful world that we find ourselves living in? In fact, the truth of the matter is, we as believers oftentimes hate evil, but we really don't know how to verbalize that we hate evil with people, both outside the church and within the church. This is not a unique statement. It is a reality statement. And so today, in uh, 25 minutes, I'm going to, maybe 30 minutes, (laughs) I'm going to address just a very small portion of how do we address sin with one another. That's what this is really about. How do we talk about and help one another in order to live the Christian life within the church. Now, it's a whole nother sermon how to deal with the people outside the church, and I'm only going to parenthetically touch that because I'll keep my word, but if I get to preach again, then I'll give part B and part C and part D and part E. But for today, it's just part A. I love the passage that I know men oftentimes quote to one another. Ladies may also do this, but since I'm not a lady and I don't attend ladies' groups, I don't know that this verse is quite as prominent. But for us guys, we oftentimes use the expression found in Proverbs 27, verse 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Now, whatever that connotes in your mind and heart, to me, it says, I need you. I need other people in my life to help me live the Christian life. I know that occasionally I have met an individual who doesn't need people. They would be just fine living in a place where there were no people. But that's not the way most of us are wired. Most of us need other people in our lives. We need God to help us live the Christian life. The easiest thing to do is to become a Christian. The hardest thing to do is to live the Christian life. We need God to help us live out 
the Christian life. But we also need one another. We need the church and we need other Christian people helping us. While the Bible tells us that we are not to forsake ourselves in the assembly with the righteous, for those of you today who are in Christ, I'm confident that there are two reasons why you are here today. One of those reasons is that you are continuing in your Christian life. You have not abandoned the faith. You are a believer in Jesus, and you want to fulfill what the Word of God says. And so you are here today. Your presence is a testimony that you are not an apostate, that you have not abandoned the Lord Jesus Christ. He has been faithful to you, and you are being faithful to him. But there is another thing that I know about you today for those of us who are in Christ, who are assembled here. It is because we believe that we can hold one another up and support one another in order to live out the Christian life, whatever that looks like from the word of God. Now, as I say this, I must remind you that when you take a stance for doing kingdom work God's way, there are going to be people who will disagree with you. They will disagree with you outside in the pagan world. After all, they are pagans. Why should they live the Christian life? How can someone who is godless, who has not committed to God Almighty and to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, live the kind of life that you and I are wanting to live today? They just don't have that desire. They don't have that power, that ability. And therefore, they look at us and they oftentimes see us as an anomaly in the world, as a judgmental individual. And oftentimes, what they see is really true. Sometimes we come across that way to them. But we also have responsibility to help one another when we are struggling with sinful actions, when we are struggling with things that are not in the word of God and our brothers and sisters come alongside and and they seek to lovingly guide us and to help us and sometimes to correct us. But there are people who will murmur and criticize both God and you as you seek to live the Christian life. Uh, It happened to Moses. It happened to the prophets, particularly to Micaiah. It happened to Jesus and the Gospels. It happened to the apostles. It happened to Paul. So you and I are are in good company, are we not? In Jesus' day, the Pharisees were highly critical people. They were oppressively judgmental. They proudly looked down on anyone who was not a part of their elite system. They were unmerciful. 
They were unforgiving. They were unkind. If you please, they were censorious and totally lacking in compassion and in grace. Their evaluation of others, like every other aspect of their hypocritical system, hypocritical system, was based upon mere appearances and the external and that which what we would call superficial. Jesus has said to them through the Gospel of John, which our pastor has been preaching to us now for many weeks and many more weeks to come, and we're taking this little hiatus away from John today. But I would remind you, we've already heard Jesus saying to the Pharisees, stop judging by mere appearances and make a right judgment. Again, Jesus said to the Pharisaical leaders, you are judging by human standards, by fleshly standards, says some translations. I would submit to you today that the passage that is before us in Matthew chapter 7, which Bob read, is one of the most misquoted and misunderstood passages in the Bible. Now, there are a lot of hard things to understand, but many people find this passage to be correctly interpreted, especially when somebody is talking to you that's a family member, be it your parents or being your spouse or another family member. The thought runs through the person, the the hearer's head, stop judging me, you're judging me. When my wife says to me, when I have my bow tie on, Gary, your bow tie is critical or is, is crooked, that's, that's, that's her criticism, but that's not her judgmentalism. She's just calling out the fact that some Sunday mornings I come to church with one black sock on and one navy blue sock on. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what does it mean to judge one another. The theme for this section of Scripture is don't judge, do not judge, but do be discerning. Don't judge, but do be discerning. Slide five, please. Don't judge but do be discerning. Let me remind you this morning that the context of this particular passage is from the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is preached to a particular audience. It is not primarily preached to an audience of people who have not embraced Jesus Christ as the Messiah and Lord. In fact, it says at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus saw the multitude and he went up onto a mountainside and his disciples, his followers came and sat before him and he began to preach to them. They were kingdom citizens. 
He wanted his followers to know, how do you embrace living life at its very best? How do you fulfill the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God? I want to ask you this morning a very personal question. Are you a kingdom citizen? Are you a kingdom citizen? The Bible teaches that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who have received the gospel. The gospel is very simple. It's not complicated. It is that God has made us in his image. And after he made us, he said we are very good. He likes what he did. He's God. He always does that which is perfect and right. But then sin entered into mankind's heart through the wiry, terrible example of Satan who deceived mankind, and we've been deceived ever since. And sin always destroys. Sin always criticizes what God says is good. Sin defiles. Sin separates. And so God resolved the sin problem. He sent his son, his only son, to live a perfect life so that if we will appropriate his teaching and life into our heart, if we will submit to Jesus Christ and obey him, then we have a perfect gift of salvation given to us. And that gift is extended according to the gospel to anyone who will believe. It's not just an intellectual belief. It is a commitment of all of one's heart and soul. And so Jesus says, you are a kingdom citizen. I want you to understand how to live life at its best. And so in the passage before us, he calls at least three times the word brother. Let's focus on that word for just a minute. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew term for brother referred to a blood relative the majority of the time. But metaphorically, that is in a symbolic way, the word brother in the Hebrew in the Old Testament could refer to a close companion. It could refer to my brother, the neighbor, or it could refer to someone who was a part of the covenant community of Abraham, of Israel, who had become a believer in Yahweh God. The word brother, as we see here, slide eight, is from a Greek word, adelphos. That's the masculine. And the masculine sometimes refers only to those who are guys, males, but it also can refer to a generic way of females and males together. And the word adelphe is the feminine for sister. It's used uh, 39 times by Matthew. And it means from the same womb. 
in the New Testament, the word brother is used 343 times. So it's a significant word. And Jesus, when he is using the word brothers in the Sermon on the Mount, he is using the word adelphos to refer to the Christian community. In the early church, Adelphos became the common way to address and to refer to other Christians. And so today, beloved, you are brothers. You're sitting with brothers. The person sitting next to you, if you're a believer in Christ, is your brother. I am your brother. Growing up in the South, We are reminded of that over and over again, which those of us outside of the southern states don't get to partake of. But a common way of addressing one another as you walk down the church hall is, Hi, Brother Bill, how are you? Uh, If you are a pastor, you're rarely addressed as pastor or reverend. You are addressed as Brother Gary. So the emphasis is staying true to what the Sermon on the Mount teaches. The kingdom citizen who excels in righteousness is your brother, and that righteousness means that you're going to live in a certain way. Now, I've said that the devil likes to destroy and change and pollute. And so if you want to live righteously, you will be tempted not might be tempted, you will be tempted to pass judgment on someone who doesn't live righteously. Temptation is not a sin. Everyone who wants to live righteously will say, occasionally, they will look at someone and say, that person isn't living righteously, and they become judgmental of that person. Now, don't look at me like a calf looking at a new gate. You are sitting in a room filled with judgmental people. All of us have been judgmental at least once in our lives. And some of us are judgmental every day of our lives. Now, I'm not talking about the person who comes out of the womb with a cantankerous spirit. There are some people who are born just criticize, criticize, criticize. They can't help it. That's their personality. They are criticizers. And that's why criticizers have to change by the power of Christ. There are other people who are highly analytical, If you're a person who has been given the gift of an analytical mind, you have a propensity to criticize. And you may be seen as judgmental. There are some of you, both men and women in this room, who have the spiritual gift of prophecy. Now, you would hope that of the spiritual gifts that are given to those who are pastors and teachers elders, that there would be at least the gift of preaching, the gift of teaching, and maybe the gift of prophecy. 
the gift of prophecy is being able to see black and white from the word of God and to be able to call sin, sin. And some individuals in the church house who have the gift of prophecy come across as rough sandpaper in interpersonal relationships. In any one of those three circumstances, it behooves each person to submit to the Spirit of God. And Jesus knew that the people that were before him were judging. In fact, slide 10, that's why he says, judge not. The literal meaning of this admonition means to stop judging. He didn't say, and some translations occasionally use this word, do not judge, but it's actually in the present participle, and it is a verb that means continuous, habitual action. The disciples before him were already judging. They were already in the process of making a judgment. They were already separating in their own minds individuals and circumstances which they considered right, wrong, maybe, whatever. They were judging. They were condemning. The disciples were guilty of this. How do I know? Well, you just look at the Word of God. You remember the story of the time when the mom came and said, Jesus, uh, I have two boys here. Grant that one of them might sit on your right hand and the other might sit on your left hand. And as soon as that mom said that, guess what the response was from the others who heard the other disciples? They began to murmur and to criticize. How dare these two disciples be put into a place of privilege. We want to be in a place of privilege. That's a loose paraphrase on my part to save time with you this morning. Our propensity, our practice is we judge. We are judging. Am I my brother's keeper? That was a question that emanated from Genesis chapter 4, where after Cain had killed Abel and God came into the garden and was asking Cain, where is your brother? And he snarkily said, well, am I my brother's keeper? And I want you to know that if that question was asked right now in the Sermon on the Mount, the answer emphatically is yes. Yes, you are your brother's keeper, but you are not his judge. You are your brother's keeper, but not his judge. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is referring, and here's the heart, if you want to remember anything, file this away. Jesus is talking about judgment of motives, judgment of motives, which no human being can possibly have a full understanding of and really know. The Apostle Paul was talking about motives when he said in Romans 
chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. We should examine actions and attitudes, but we can't judge motives. For only God sees into your heart and into my heart. Romans 2.16 says, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So here's the parenthetical stop that in a minute and a half I want to make. I want to ask the question about those outside the Christian faith. This is sermon B, C, D, E, and F. Should a Christian judge others? 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. There is an example that is given in the, in the scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where there is terrible immorality among believers. And Paul is saying, expel the person who is horribly immoral in the church. And so he writes to believers this thought, beginning in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 5. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. And he says, we are supposed to be salt and light when we're in the world. Continuing, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of, and here's the word, brother, the person who is in Christ. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviver, a drunkard, or swindler, uh, not even to eat with such a one. Look at this latter part of the verse. For what have I to do with judging outsiders, people in the world? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Now let that resonate. And what's the answer? What is the answer? The answer is yes. Inside the church, there's to be judgment. Inside the church, there's to be judging. Not outside with people who are pagans, but inside the church, there's to be judgment. That's in black and white. It might be red in some people's Bibles, but in my Bible, it was black and white. God judges those outside. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So, what is Jesus saying to us at this point? He says, avoid hypercritical, 
being hypercritical with your brother or hypocritical with your brother. Avoid being hypocritical with your brother. You can be hypocritical, supercritical, but don't be hypocritical. Actually, both of them are bad. A hypocrite is a person who is insensitive to the needs, first of all, and primarily of himself. He not only notices the problems in the lives of others, but he decries that he has a need in his own life and he thinks, I've got the remedy to your problem. He will not look at himself. I like Jesus. I like Jesus' sense of humor. Some of us in this room need to realize Jesus had a sense of humor. You're not going to like heaven if you don't have a sense of humor, beloved. And right now there's irony in what Jesus says to his disciples. He says, uh, you see that little moat that's uh, in my eye? Well, before you try to remove that little speck, and that's what my, the ESV said, speck, before you remove that speck, get rid of the log that is in your eye. Now, it's interesting that Jesus, in his ironic way of getting my attention and hopefully your attention, in order for me to look into Shane Decker's eye and see that little speck, I'm going to have to get very, very close. Very close in order to see it. I can't see the little speck up here, but I have to be very close. There's no one closer than your brother Jesus who can examine your life. And so he says, how ironic. You want to remove this little speck when you've got a beam, a log in your own eye? And he's, he's reminding us there's a responsibility to look inwardly at my life. Romans 2, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. You know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. So do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who have practiced such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Here's the central truth and application. My habitual response to Scripture, to the Word of God, must be to say, when I read God's Word, when I look into His lamp that shines His spotlight on my soul, is to first ask myself, what about me? Where do I need to become squeaky clean? What adjustments do I have to make before I think about others? And after I've looked at my life and gotten myself correct, then I'm in a position where I can hold somebody else's arms up in the Christian faith, where I can help them in their pilgrimage and walk with them. The last thing that is said to us by our Lord in this passage is, with your brother, 
be holy and be discerning. We sang a song, a wonderful new song today about the holiness of God. You see, the holiness of God gives God the right to be the official judge. The holiness of God. We learned this morning in our growth groups through the study of the first chapter of Revelation that God holds the keys to death and to hell. He has the right to judge. He has the right, the ability to be able to see correctly. And so um, he says very, gives us this illustration that we're going to close with. You don't give dogs and pigs things that are holy and pure. Dogs ran wild in the streets of the New Testament days. They weren't pets. They destroyed things. And if you throw that which is sacred before a dog, you're not a very discerning individual. And neither do you give pearls, which in this case, I believe Jesus is saying something very precious. And what is the most precious thing that we have? The gospel, the gospel of truth. You don't give the gospel. You don't give the truth to someone who's not wanting, willing, open to receive. You know they need it, but they're not ready to hear. They're not willing to accept. And so what do you do? Well, I'm going to take you by your throat and I'm going to spiritually strangle you. Wrong. You wait, you wait, you become a person of discernment. Jesus was teaching his followers to use discernment when sharing the truth with others. So, here's another application. I'm to get rid of my critical spirit and seek to be a discerning person. Three guidelines, four minutes, listen carefully, read on the on the screen. Guideline one, judging should be done in love. John 13, 34 says, Christians are marked by love. Guideline two, judging should be helpful. We do not criticize another believer to tear him down. We should be positive, attempting to help him correct a problem, and I would say a sinful problem. Hebrews 10.24 commands us to consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. And lastly, the third principle is judging should be based on Scripture. We may not like what another person simply says to us because he violates our prejudices. This is not grounds for criticism Only when a clear principle of Scripture is broken should we judge another believer. Hebrews 3.13 says, It commands believers to exhort one another once a year, every other month, only on the Sabbath day, to exhort one another daily in an attempt to turn each other away from sin. 
I have a lot to practice in my life. I've messed up many times. But God says, stop judging. Be the loving salt and light and help one another. Let's stand together.